thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Today, we are continuing our Advent sermon series titled, How Does a Weary World Rejoice? And Susan Thiessen will be speaking on Luke chapter 1, verses 24 through 45. In this sermon, Susan looks at the importance of connection. We read the story of Mary and Elizabeth meeting with each other in face of uncertainty and weariness, and yet finding joy through their friendship in the midst of it. We are then invited to consider our community and how we might come together and be there for each other in the midst of our weariness and how we might expand each other's joy. This morning... Um, our Advent theme has been, um, How Does a Weary World Rejoice? And uh, Ruth, since you're standing there, will you rip that page off and just bring it to me? And then actually, since I have you up, will you um, also rip off that other sheet? I did think about that partway through the songs. Well, I don't know how I'm going to get those sheets up here, so thank you. Um, how Does a Weary World Rejoice? And that was part of what Corey talked to us last week about as he led us to think about the things that make us weary. And then as you came in this morning, um, you had this opportunity to connect with each other and enjoy some conversation and treats. And you were invited to consider two things. First of all, what makes you weary? So we've already done some thinking about that. And then what gives you peace in the midst of your present reality. And so we've had these sticky notes. So I'm just going to tell you what kinds of things make you weary. And we'll see if they're the same as mine. Ah, an endless to-do list. How many of you, uh, can I hear an amen? Does this make you just weary? Um, Illness, when I'm too busy. Um, Folks who complain about everything. Um, school, when I work too hard, noise, negativism, unhappy children, they're all gone. So fear, brothers, (laughs) that was a child's writing, I think. (laughs) Um, When people quarrel, lack of sleep, yes, that's me, that makes me weary. Um, Anxiety, worrying about things, unemployment, oh, these are good. My uh, analytical mind, Um, high emotions. So those are some of the things that make us weary. By the way, the thing that's on my list that never got mentioned last week, because Corey is young, is that uh, being older makes me tired. I never used to be tired. I could be tired like, it's a fascinating thing. I'm just telling you, that's part part of getting older, is you get tired easier. All right, what kinds of things bring people peace in the midst of upheaval or whatever? Coffee and muffins. Oh, that's lovely. I agree. (laughs) Being at Kingsfold, having time to read and rest and good music and um, come Lord Jesus, just that invitation for God to be part of things. Friendships. Uh, being with a cuddling and cuddling a pet, spending time in nature in trees. 
having a nice cup of tea. I think that sounds lovely. And going for a walk, walking outside, seeing people um, who are trying to seek um, growth and healing. Those are great. More sleep, have some sleep. Go camping, be with your family, but not with your brother. Oh no, that's, <laughs> go for walks, more sleep. So we have all these things that we do that um, bring us peace. And I think um, every day we get the invitation um, to, to wonder what it would look like to deal with our weariness in a way that was good and hopeful. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, I find that probably truly what makes me the most weary is that whole thing of too much, just too much. And it could be any kind of too much. It could be too much bad news, uh, either from the nightly news or sometimes from my own personal story, or maybe too much activity or noise or stuff. Too much makes most of us weary. And yet we kind of live in that culture, don't we, where we have a lot and we're always trying to manage our, our too much. And it does make us weary. And if we're telling the truth about our own stories, about our own lives, then there's something for all of us that makes us weary. And last week you wrote some prayers and you brought them up and you put them in front of the picture of Jesus and you left them. And by the way, I forgot to mention, when you bring things to the front of the church and leave them, we take them and we either burn them or we shred them. We don't, we don't read them. So you can know that that's what happens to those pieces of paper. But you brought your prayers and you put them in front of, of uh, Jesus. And you invited him to hear your weariness and to be part of that. And God, as we did that, he saw your heart. He heard your prayers. He knows intimately what's going on in your life. And he's invited you to come to him with your weariness and your heavy burdens, with the promise that he will give you rest. And that is good news. And then today we lit the second Advent candle um, that represents for us peace. And I've been wondering as I prepared for this week, does the absence of peace or the presence of conflict, like, does that, or if there's too much chaos, does that make you weary? And does it make it difficult for us when we lack peace to then have joy? So do the words weary and rejoicing feel a bit like oxymorons, like the two words don't really go together? How does a weary world rejoice? How does that actually fit together? Sometimes they don't sound like they do. Or maybe chaos and conflict don't describe what's going on in your life. And perhaps for you, your weariness has something more connected to uncertainty. When you're not sure, like it feels like the, your life has been thrown up in the air and, and, and it's landing and you don't know how it's going to land. And there's this piece of uncertainty that just can be, ah, it's hard on your soul. And what, do you, what do you do with all those things when they're up in the air and um, you don't know how things are going to work out? And I find that when my life is like that, I can actually hold everything at bay during the day. I'm busy, I'm seeing people, I'm having adventures, I'm doing whatever. So I actually look like I'm holding together well. But you know when it catches up to me, 
when it probably catches up to you, is when you get into bed at night. And you go to sleep, and you sleep, well, some of us go to sleep, some of us don't. And the, but at about two or three, you wake up. And that's when all of a sudden, the things that are uncertain in your life start to loop. Have you had that happen? And you say to yourself, this is silly. I just got to go back to sleep. But you're having a hard time going back to sleep because you can't get whatever that thought is, you can't get it to stop looping in your mind. And you say to yourself, ah, my soul is not at, at rest. My, um, I, there is something not right in my life. And that's when, and it, for me, it shows up at three in the morning. So I need to have, if any of you are up at three in the morning, let me know. I could just, you know, we could call and chat. <laughs> Um, but it invites us to um, wonder how these two main characters in our story that we saw this morning, and we're going to read that scripture passage, um, the, you met them, the kids represented them, how did they deal with their feelings? Because if anyone was confronted with uncertainty, it was an older woman named Elizabeth who'd recently found out that she was unexpectedly pregnant, and a young, unmarried woman named Mary, who also got the news that she would have a child. Both pregnant, in spite of the laws of nature that said this could not be so, but it was their reality, so there you have it. Two pregnant women. So why don't we just listen to the passage, and as you do, try to imagine yourself in their place, or at least as a fly on the wall watching as it, as it all took place. So I'm going to be reading from Luke 1, starting at verse 24. It'll be on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bible. So after this, okay, wait. You know, the after this refers to something that happened before. That's what Corey talked about us last week. So real, just qu real quick recap. Re it refers to what we heard last week about Zechariah being in the temple, doing his priestly duty, when an angel shows up to him, informs him that he and his aged wife were going to have a special child, to which he responds with some skepticism and is thereby struck mute for the duration of his wife's pregnancy. That's, the, that's what that refers to. After all of that, Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Do you wonder why Elizabeth went into seclusion for five months? I find that part of the story interesting. Was she sick? Probably. Was she hiding so that she wouldn't be the source of people's gossip? Maybe. But more likely, she was treasuring this incredible gift that was inside of her, holding it to herself, enjoying that amazing feeling, while knowing that the world, as she had known it, was about to take a major shift, and pondering that God had, given, had gifted her with this life, and that it was somehow going to fit into his larger plan. So let the adventure begin. So this story, by the way, has an Old Testament counterpart. Can any of you think what other story sounds like 
Zechariah and Elizabeth? What story comes to your mind? Sarah and Abraham, that's exactly right. They were given a promise by God that they would have more descendants than there were stars in the sky. And then they couldn't conceive. Oh, for crying out loud. And they wondered if God had gotten this right. And they didn't give up their faith in God, but they certainly despaired of having a child. Until, that is, an angel showed up to make a pronouncement about a baby that would come to an age, aged couple. And Sarah, like Zechariah, uh, she was a bit skeptical. She's old. This is just not, it's not going to happen. Everybody knows that old women don't get pregnant. But God is about to show Abraham and Sarah the truth of the words spoken by the angel, who said, is anything too hard for God? Those are great words. Is anything too hard for God? And to Zechariah, the angel says, what God says he will do. It's the same saying. And as we continue to read our scripture, let me invite you to keep paying attention to the places where people might have felt chaos or uncertainty or confusion, or alternatively, where they might have felt peace or joy. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? By the way, she's not expressing skepticism. She's voicing confusion. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Those are the same kind of words that the messenger gave Abraham all those years earlier. If God wants to do it, if, it wants, if he wants it to happen, it will happen, no doubt about it. And Mary resp Mary's response, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Well, at this point, Mary's life is about to get super complicated. We've all heard the story, and we've probably imagined what it would have been like in that culture to turn up pregnant before you were married. If you said you were a virgin, who's going to believe you? And how, what about your prospective husband? Is he going to believe you? And, and how will you even tell him? 
or your community. They'd laugh you out of, the, out of town. And now think about lying in bed at three in the morning with all those worries, oh, and feeling a little sick, because she's probably sick, with your mind looping on the unknowns of what's to come. And though the details are different, we've all felt the stress of living with the unknown somewhere in our lives. And we know how disorienting that can be. But what I want us to notice is what Mary does when her life has been turned upside down, so to speak. So let's keep reading. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. What an incredibly joyful and affirming moment. Mary ends up singing a song of great gladness, and then we're told that she stayed with Elizabeth for three months. And as you read the commentaries written on this passage, they're as likely as not to point out that when people are stressed, weary, uncertain, the thing that comes most naturally is to find people we know who love us to connect with. Mary goes to find her cousin, Elizabeth. And she needs connection. She needs friendship. She needs support and perhaps a wise voice to help her make sense of the things that are happening to her. Have you ever needed a person or people to journey with you when something unsettling has happened in your life? I was chatting with Andrea Shaw this week. She reminded me um, that we notice again and again in the biblical story that we have been made for connection. It's in our created nature. Having said that, we're also aware that the natural connections that we are made for it's the very thing that gets challenged in our hyper-individualistic culture these days. Lots of people have virtually no one that they would even consider turning to. They feel alone. They're carrying all their uncertainties and their burdens by themselves. And I listened to a TED Talk this week based on a study done assessing what helps people live a long life well, should nothing go sideways health-wise. And the research study included tens of thousands of people and included criterion that helped assess the factors of longevity. So since I'm getting older, I think that's a good question to investigate. We should, we should ask that. And the researchers asked lots of personal questions of their subjects, primarily about their lifestyles. And then they waited, after they did this initial research, they just had to wait as people aged to see what would actually happen. And uh, here are some of the results um, on, in graph form. So at the bottom of the chart, things that mattered were clean air and um, low blood pressure. So those, those matter. And then exercise and um, 
being, not being um, too overweight or whatever. And then I thought it was really interesting. Your flu vaccine has more to staying alive than how much you weigh or whether you exercise. I went, oh, is that right? Or your heart health. And then um, the negatives, like people should quit smoking and quit boozing. I thought the word, wording was interesting. Um, you know, so it, excess. Um, but then the last two, this, this one here, close relationships. Those are the people who are there for you no matter what. If you break down on the highway at midnight, they're come, you can call them and they're coming to get you. Or if you have a huge crisis, those are the people that are there for you. And those relationships really, um, they make life worthwhile and they help people stay alive. I think that's fascinating. And so, you know, I have to ask myself, who are my friends? Or I invite you to ask, who are your friends? And then the final one was social integration. This one even surprised me more than almost anything else. And so social integration is not your close friends, but everybody else who's in your network. So like in this church, I have some very dear friends. Um, not all of you know me that well, but you are part of my social integration. I know you're here. I know you know me, you know my name. If I was sick, I think you'd bring me a meal. Or if I needed someone to pray for me, I think you would pray for me. You don't know me as well as some other people do, and yet there is huge value in having those people as part of your life because they are there and they care for you. And I, social integration, I, I wouldn't have put that on my list. I wouldn't have guessed that one. But they are in a, our community is incredibly important. And I know, I think sometimes we just take it for granted, right? I just come here and you're here and we know each other and we're happy to be together. But is it important? Well, yes, because we worship together. But it's important because it makes our life richer. And, you know, I think about, um, I do actually think about my mom. So my dad passed away in August. And, um, my mom lives in a building where she is, she has her own space, so she has her own apartment, and she can retreat there when she just wants to be alone, but she eats two meals a day with people, and then they have all kinds of activities. She actually brought me her calendar last night and said, look at all the things my building is doing. She was very excited about that. <clears throat> and it really matters to her. And I have watched these people in her building, that's her social interaction the people who just surround her and have been there for her as she's made the transition to living alone. And it's been hugely important to her. And uh, I've been so grateful for those people that live in that building who are kind to my mom. I think that's, that's very lovely. And I'm going to suggest that this community, Varsity Bible Church, is a place where you have the potential of finding people who will become dear friends, and they will also be here for you for all those other things that when you need something, when your life falls apart and you just need people who are surrounding you and holding you, that those people, that, that's, what, that's part of what we're here to be for each other. And I think it's because that's how God made us. Your connections will help you lean into the possibility of a weary world rejoicing.
because the two words don't go together. But when we are weary or we are perplexed, we could be like Mary who says, I need support. And we go looking for the person or the people in our lives who will hold us and support our story and listen to us and uh, make space for us. And sometimes our lives get really complicated. And sometimes our lives are perplexing. And I was th as I was thinking about this, I was even thinking about, so I, I don't know how I got here, but I was thinking about Job. So Job had friends, right? That's a different story where uh, somebody's life falls apart and it's really a catastrophe. It is perplexing, it is unhappy beyond unhappiness. And he's sitting in a, sitting by a fire and he's got, he's ripped his clothes and he's got ashes on, you know, he's, whatever the cultural ways of mourning were, he was mourning, he was so sad. And his friends initially come, three of them, we call them Job's comforters, and they came and they were with him and they just sat around the fire with him. But we're not good at coming around our friends and sitting in quiet for very long, are we? <laughs> Pretty soon his friends start to talk. And then his friends start to assess why it is possible that Job is in that unhappy spot. And it is probably his fault. And then they say all manner of crazy things. Although when I read it, I think, oh, I think I've heard myself say those very things somewhere in my life in some unhelpful way. <laughs> it's just like, oh my goodness, you know, here's this man with his life falling apart, and they're trying to tell him what he should do to fix it. And I thought, oh. And the question that all invites me to ask is, what does it look like for us to be good friends? What does it look like for us to listen to each other, to really listen? To listen and not feel like we have to fix someone or something. Oh, that is very hard for us. I had someone early in my time here say to me at one point, you know, when I tell you something, I don't actually want you to fix it. I just want you to listen to me. And I went, oh, yeah, that was, I never forgot those words. That was probably 30 years ago. I never forgot that because those are valuable words. When we are good friends to each other, what does it look like for us to listen well? And not to be waiting for the moment when that person takes a breath so that I can tell them how to fix their problem or to give them an example how have I've been through that exact same thing because that's also what I have. I'm a storyteller, so I want to tell you my stories about when that happened to me, but that's not really very helpful, is it? And so I am inviting us, as we journey well together, to be good listeners, to not be Job's helpers, who said all those unhelpful things, and God finally said, I don't know what God said, he didn't say this, but he said, shame on you guys. He said something like that. I could see God waking his, shame on you guys. Don't say those things to poor Job. Um, and, I, you know, I, the invitation I hear out of that story is, how do I be a good friend? For Mary and Elizabeth, they found incredible support in each other. Um, Mary found someone who made space for her. 
provided her with affirmation and kindness and who believed her story because that was a big deal. Just somebody believes me because that's a pretty bizarre story. And I can imagine the relief that would have given to, her, to Mary's anxious soul. And it may have provided her with joy in a weary world of waiting. And there, are there are different ways and places we might find ourselves connected here at Varsity. And so as I was thinking about, um, you know, you're here and there's potential for relationships. So if you feel like you need people who know you well, take time to join a small group. Um, talk to Caleb. He'll be back in uh, He'll be back in January. By the way, Caleb and Nalanda had their baby yesterday. Yay. He's beautiful and his name is Ezra Caleb. And he was seven pounds, 11 ounces. So a goodly young, strapping young man. Um, but Caleb is the one that you could talk to if you wanted to be part of a small group because that provides people who are um, deeply invested in you and in, in, your, um, in your growth and in your, the health of your soul. And a community group can be one of those great places where you can experience relationships more fully. Um, one of the other places where we find our connect, ourselves connected, this time at a different level, is when we come around the communion table and we celebrate communion together. And when we share a cup and a piece of bread. And I wish that there was room for us all to just at the same time gather around the table, shoulder to shoulder as we be community together. And, uh, but we know that we already have gridlock in the aisles just trying to get to the front, so that's probably not gonna happen. But today as you come down the aisles to share communion with these people who are part of your community, um, Take a look at who's standing around you. Take a look at who's sitting in the seats waiting their turn. And as you wait, I would invite you to pray for the people who you're, who you're standing beside as they sit there, or who are standing around you. Take time to pray. If you know their names, pray for them by name. And I was thinking about the people who are part of our community who need prayer. And so one of those people is our dear friend Drexel. And so I presume most of you know that uh, Dick passed away um, yesterday. Uh, yesterday afternoon. No, Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon. And, uh, and I went and sat with Drexel and her life has been upended. So is Dick's, but he, you know, he's in heaven. He's celebrating, but um, you know, this, these are gonna be hard days for Drexel. <clears throat> so she's gonna need all of us. She's gonna need us to bring meals and make phone calls and go for visits and help her get to doctor's appointments. And so that is the huge value of having people around you who are your community. And uh, so as you're waiting, Pray for Drexel as she comes, as she uh, processes what's going to ha what's happening in her life. Pray for comfort and for mercy. And then I was thinking about 
you know, our friend Deb, you've, if you're on the prayer chain, every once in a while you get a prayer request from her, and some of you probably don't even know her, but you know her name, and she just suffers from constant migraines. If she goes across your mind while you're waiting to come around the table, she's part of our community. Would you pray for her? And then pray for Nalanda and Caleb, because their lives at some level have been, you know, <laughs> tossed up in the air and, and coming down. And, um, they're, and they're very excited. It, that's a good change. And uh, so let's continue to pray for Nalanda and Caleb and May and baby Ezra. And pray for Renus as he finishes up his sabbatical and prepares to come back in, Jan in January. Pray for the new people who are here that you don't know yet. Pray for our youth. Pray for whatever God brings to your mind. And thank God that he's drawn us together to walk with each other in the midst of whatever joys and sorrows life holds. Thank you for listening to our final sermon of 2023. Our sermons will resume on January 7th, and we'll be looking at the book of Colossians with the sermon series titled, The Image. For more sermon series resources, go to our website at vbchurch.ca, that's victorbravochurch.ca forward slash sermons. Mm -hmm.